Back to Leviticus chapter 1. And Leviticus, it's a book that kind of gets a bad rep. I don't know how many people, when you poll Christians, I think uh, last week on the social media, they asked, what's your favorite book of the Bible? I don't know if anybody wrote Leviticus in there, right? Anyone here, your favorite book of the Bible is Leviticus? Anyone, right? Not too many of us. I don't think anybody here polled, right, in our group. And Leviticus gets a bad rap. However, many theologians, even Dr. J. Vernon McGee says that Leviticus is one of his favorite books of the Bible. He said that if believers and if people in this world would get a good grip of Leviticus, it would get rid of every other ism, every other false religion, every other false doctrine would be blown away if we as believers would really get a hold of Leviticus and allow Leviticus to get a hold of us. The word Leviticus in the Hebrew, what it means is he called. And if you remember as we were going through Exodus on Sundays and now we switch Old Testament and New Testament. As we were going through Exodus, we saw that God, the last time he was speaking to the nation of Israel, he was speaking from the top of the mountain. He was speaking from the top of Mount Sinai in an audible voice. The people, they were down in the valley. They were freaking out. They were scared. God warned them, don't come near the mountain. Don't let your animals come near the mountain. Anything touches the mountain, it's going to die. And God was speaking to them from up in the mountain. But they built the tabernacle. We finished Exodus and God's presence coming upon the tabernacle, coming upon that mercy seat. And now God, instead of speaking to the nation of Israel from the top of the mountain, He's speaking to them from the midst of the tabernacle. And that's what the Lord wants to do with us tonight, right here and right now. He doesn't want to talk to you super far away, but he wants to call out to you in that place of intimacy, in that still, small voice. He calls the people to him and he tells them how they are to come to him. And this is the exact meaning of that word church in the New Testament, in the Greek, ekklesia. It's the called out ones. And if you hear you're saying you're a part of the church, you are part of those who are called out. We're not supposed to look like the world. Church is not supposed to imitate the world. We are supposed to be called out. Just like you don't think you see anyone walking around every day looking like an astronaut, right? Anybody walk around in their full astronaut suit and oxygen and everything? No, that's when they're called out, out of the planet. And now we as believers, we should be living in a way that we are called out. We're not looking like this world. We look nothing like it. Leviticus, simply put, is just the handbook manual for the Levites. This is exactly what it is. If some of you here are, well, doctors, I don't think have manuals. That's the eight years of school they go through, right? But if your job gave you a manual on what to do and how to do it, this is exactly what Leviticus is. You could think of it as the manual for the Levites. Leviticus, it's quoted about 40 times throughout the New Testament. And Leviticus is all about God's holiness. If you could sum up the book of Leviticus in one word, it would be holiness. That's what it's all about. And it's broken up really into two parts. The first part is worship, right? Holiness, worship, how do we approach God and how do we worship God? That's the first part of Leviticus. The second part of Leviticus, it's walking. So how do we live for God? Again, both in holiness, worship part one, and then walking for God in part two. And and that's what our lives need to be about, worshiping God and then walking for the Lord. And all of it needs to be done in holiness. We need to be set apart. We need to look different from this world. We need to act different from this world. And that's, again, just what Leviticus is about. Chapters 1 through 17, it'll be how to worship God in holiness. And then 18 through 27, it'll be about walking in God and holiness. 
J. Vernon McGee, he sums up these first three books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus. It's a part of the Pentateuch, which is a fancy way just to say the first five books of the Bible. The word In the book of Genesis, we see man being ruined. In the book of Exodus, we see man being redeemed. And in the book of Leviticus, we'll see man worshiping the Redeemer. Exodus offered pardon. Leviticus offers us purity. Exodus offered God's approach to man, and now Leviticus is going to reveal to us man's approach to God. In Exodus, Christ is Savior. In Leviticus, Christ is our sanctifier. In Exodus, we see man's guilt being prominent. Now in Leviticus, we'll see man's defilement is what's prominent. In Exodus, God speaks from the mountain, and here in Leviticus, God will speak out of the tabernacle. In Exodus, man is made near to God, and in Leviticus, man is kept near to God. Again, this is what it's all about. Now, how do we get brought nearer and nearer to God? Have you heard his voice, and are you quick to obey it? Are you quick to follow him? Some very special, very important scriptures in Leviticus verses. You go to Leviticus chapter 11, verse 45. It says, For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth, for I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Another key scripture in Leviticus is in chapter 17, verse 11. So the theme, again, holiness, God is holy, so he's going to call his people to now be holy. We can only be holy through the power of Jesus Christ. But here in this time, what they needed was something to cover their sins. And we're going to look at this word later on, but there's the word atonement. And it's all over the book of Leviticus. But in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, it says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. The only way that our souls can have atonement, or the only way that our souls can be covered by their sins is by the shedding of blood. One final uh, scripture before we dive in here. It's in 1 Peter chapter 1. And here Peter, he's going to quote from Leviticus, right? This fisherman in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 16. Again, famous scripture to us. It tells us, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, As in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Again, family, God calls us to be holy. If nothing has changed in your life since the day you were saved, you look exactly the same before Christ and after Christ, something's wrong. You're not being obedient to the Lord or you're not saved. That's just what it comes down to. If you're acting more worldly after coming to Christ, again, something is wrong. Right? Simply put, imagine you, you're, you're some of us here, right? We struggle. We're a little bit overweight, right? And you start a diet and you're spending money, right? 
$100 a month, $100 a month, $100 a month, $100 a month. And you wait six months and you look in the mirror and you go, wow, I look exactly the same, right? $600 down the drain, are you going to keep doing it? Are you going to say something's off here? Again, the power of Christ, it gives us new life. He gives us power over sin now. In fact, as a believer, we choose to sin. Before Christ, we had no choice. We had no option. So again, he's called us to be holy in all of your conduct. We shouldn't be trying to separate, saying, God, these things are holy. These things are sacred in my life. And Lord, these things are secular, right? Lord, it's okay that I'm secular or I look like the world in these things. And God, I'll be holy in these things. On Sunday and Wednesday night, Lord, I'll be holy. But the rest of the day, Lord, I got to be secular in these things. No, he calls us to be holy in all aspects of our lives. And we need holy people in everything. We need holy mechanics, holy plumbers, holy developers, holy pastors, holy cooks, holy chefs. We need all of that stuff. We need to be holy as he is holy. In these first seven chapters, we're going to see five different types of offerings. Five different types of offerings. There's going to be the burnt offering. That's what we're going to look at tonight in a moment. There's the grain offering. The peace offering, the trespass offering, and finally the sin offering. And they're all pictures of Christ. The burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the trespass offering, and the sin offering. And again, for us to be reminded, who's the one who freed and saved the Israelites from Egypt? It was God. It was, a, it was totally the Lord. So now as we begin to see law and offering being demanded by the Lord, it's, this is not what saved the nation of Israel. This is not what brought the nation of Israel into a relationship and friendship with God. God is the one that already did that. But now law and offerings is the way by which we maintain our relationship with God. That's the way we maintain it. It's not the way that we get saved. Human effort is not the means to salvation. It's simply a byproduct of our salvation. It's our response to God's grace. It's our response to the gift of salvation. Again, God saves Israel, and then God says, hey, you're going to be my people. And then he begins to give them the Ten Commandments, the law. Right away, he gives them offerings in case they break the law and break the Ten Commandments because he knows they couldn't uphold the law. And it's the same for us. So again, being reminded of that scripture in Ephesians that we started off with, Jesus Christ is that offering and sacrifice to God. He's that sweet-smelling Savior. And as we look at Jesus Christ and Him being willing to sacrifice everything, we need to be imitators as He is. Again, how often do we hold back from the Lord? What are you holding back from God? What are those things that you're saying, God, this is the secular areas of my life, right? You can't touch this, right? We get our MC Hammer pants on. We say, God, you can't touch this, right? Can't touch this. Everything else you could got, you, Lord, everything else is free, but can't touch this, Lord. You can't touch this, right? The Dolphins games, God, you can't touch this. I got, I got to go there, right? This is who I am. We got to be careful with that. So Leviticus chapter 1. Let's read verse 1 through 7, and then uh, we'll come back. It says, Now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when anyone of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd and of the flock. If his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. 
he shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. He shall kill the bull before the Lord and the priests, Aaron's sons, shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around on the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar and lay the wood in order on the fire. Then the priests, Aaron's sons, shall lay the parts, the head and the fat in the order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. But he shall wash its entrails and its legs with water, and the priest shall burn all on the altar as a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. So again, this all starts off in verse 1, how now God, he's calling and speaking to Moses out of the tabernacle. He's no longer super far away at the top of the mountain. It's no longer the earth shaking, but he's calling out from inside the tabernacle, speaking to them. And here the first offering we're going to see is this burnt sacrifice. This burnt sacrifice. The burnt sacrifice in the Hebrew, it literally means that which ascends. Again, it's a picture of Jesus. He gave his whole life for us, whole life being obedient to God, and then he ascended up into heaven. This sacrifice would completely go up in smoke. There'd be nothing left but the hide of the animal. That'd be the only thing that would be left. The only other thing that would remain would be the ashes of this animal. And it starts off with, right, the Lord says, let anyone, anyone can come to the Lord. God's not going to refuse you. Anyone can come to Christ. Anyone can come and say, Lord, I want to be wholly yours. Lord, I want to give all of my life to you. Again, out of his own free will. But what did the Lord require? A male without blemish. Again, there's genders. There's genders in the Bible. God has created genders. God, he is a male. Jesus, he was a male, right? He still is a male. A male without blemish. And now a blessing for us is who would the priest judge when someone would come and make the sacrifice? Again, put, your, put yourself into the sandals of these people. Would the priest judge the person bringing the sacrifice? Or would the priest judge the animal behind them? The animal was the only thing that had to be without blemish. The person could look totally jacked up and weird, right? It'd be okay, right? There's some of us, we come to the Lord and we're totally jacked up and weird, right? We're still like that. But what does God look at? God looks at the sacrifice. The way we get to come into the presence of God, the Lord doesn't look at us. The Lord looks at Jesus. He looks at the male without blemish. He looks at the perfect sacrifice. And if our sacrifice is right, if our sacrifice is true, then we are brought right into the family of God. And that's exactly what's happening here. The priest would look at the sacrifice. Is it a male and is it without blemish? Again, God wouldn't want the the oxen with three legs. That's not what he wanted, right? He didn't want the oxen that was super old that was about to die Or the oxen that had one eye bigger than the other, right? No. Without blemish. The best of what you had. And then what was going to happen? The entire animal was going to be burnt and consumed on the altar. All of it was given to the Lord. And we're going to see here there's three different groups. You have the oxen, right? A cow or a bull. Then we're going to have sheep or goats. And then we're going to have 
turtle doves or pigeons. And here, again, what this is revealing to us is that the Lord wants anyone and everyone that's willing to come to him. You have the high class, the middle class, and the low class. That's exactly what God has here. You see, an oxen in this day and age was your tractor. And the tractor was super expensive in this day and age, still super expensive today. But to have enough money, to have enough wealth to say, you know what? I'm going to buy a brand new tractor and donate it to Calvary Chapel, Miami. Not all of us have that type of money. So here what the Lord is going to do, he's going to make a way for those who are high class, those who are middle class, and the lower class to be willing to say, Lord, I want to give you my all. Lord, I want to give you my best. He doesn't care about how much money you have or how little you have. He cares about your heart. That's what this burnt sacrifice represented. Someone who wanted to say, Lord, my life is dedicated to you. Lord, my whole life is yours. Lord, do whatever you want to do with my life. And I think we need more of that within our church. We need more of that within America. So much of Christianity, so much of churches. Lord, I want you to do what I want you to do, right? We don't pray, Lord, not my will be done, yours be done. We say, no, Lord, my will be done and my will be done. And Lord, this is my will. Why aren't you doing this, God? God, I'm starting to get mad. This is what I wanted. You haven't answered my prayer yet. Lord, I said I wanted this at this time. You haven't done it yet. What's going on? That's where we're really at if we're honest in our relationship and walk with God. But how often are we saying, Lord, I am willing out of my own pockets, Lord, out of my own flock, out of my own animals, Lord, I'm willing to give you everything. It's the person that says, Lord, not only do I value my relationship with you, but Lord, I value the power that you have given me to live in holiness. Again, that power only comes from God. Do we thank God that he's given us that power? Or do we look down upon that? Again, when we come to Christ, he gives us the power to not sin. But how often are we trying to run to sin or making excuses for our sins or making reasons for our sins instead of saying, Lord, thank you that you've given me the power to not have to watch these things on Netflix, right? Lord, thank you that you've given me the power to not have to drink this or smoke this or do this to relax. Lord, thank you that you've given me the power that, Lord, when they start talking garbage and gossiping, I could just walk away smiling and be at peace. How often are we thanking God that he's given us the power and the ability to be holy as he is holy? Again, it had to be a cow, an ox, a sheep. It wasn't a wild animal. The Lord didn't want you to have to go out hunting for days at a time to go find an animal and then bring it to the altar. It's what you had within your own home. So we saw that, right? A male without blemish, it's a picture of Jesus. It's a picture that we should be bringing to the Lord our best. We shouldn't be saying, hey, here's a couple old Tupperwares. Hey, Calvary Miami, you got some Tupperwares that you guys need, right? We should be giving the Lord our absolute best. We should be looking to say, Lord, how can I give you my best? And then it was out of his own free will, out of his own desire, See, that's the, that's the truth of God here today. If you're not willing to give him your all, he's fine. It's out of your own free will. It's out of my own free will. He's not going to guilt you. I might guilt you, but he's not going to guilt you, right? He's not going to guilt you into doing things for him. He's waiting on our free will. And again, it's a picture of Jesus Christ. We could turn real quick to John 10, and then I'll start going over some scriptures here. John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18. 
John 10, here we see Jesus, verse 17, he says, Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. Verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. This commandment I have received from my Father. Again, no one forced Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. It was his own decision out of his own free will. Titus chapter 2, verse 14, it reads, He who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Again, he did it. He chose to do it. That was Titus 2, verse 14. John chapter 6, verse 38. It says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Again, as we go about every day, are we asking, Lord, what is your will for my life today? Lord, what do you want me to do today? Lord, what's well-pleasing in your sight? Lord, what can I do to bless you today? That's what Jesus' whole life was about. Every morning, every night, every day, Lord, what do you want me to do today? It didn't have to do anything when he was tired, when he was weary, when he was hungry. Lord, what do you have for me to do today? Psalm 40, verse 6 through 8, it says, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened, burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will. Oh my God, and your law is within my heart. Again, family, here tonight, do you delight to do the will of God? Or is it just simply a chore to you? Is it an annoyance to you? Is it getting in the way of your will and your desires? Are you saying, Lord, I delight to do your will. Lord, it's a joy. It's a blessing. It's a pleasure to be able to do your will. We go back to Leviticus chapter 1. We see it was a burnt sacrifice. It's a male without blemish. It's of his own free will. And then in verse 4, we begin to see this sacrifice take place. Verse 4, it says, Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. Every time you see that word he there, you should really think about putting your name in there. Because the person that was doing the killing, the person that was doing the cleaning, the person that was doing the rinsing, the person that was doing the skinning with the burnt sacrifice was the person that was wanting to do it. You see, this is one of the few sacrifices that the Levites themselves were not doing. But if they wanted to make a burnt sacrifice to God, they would say, Lord, I'm going to do this for you. Lord, I'm going to do all of this for you. Verse 4, Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. So we, if we were here making this sacrifice, we would bring out, again, whatever we could afford, right? Whether it's the tractor, whether it's the mid-sized sedan, whether it's the two little doves at the end that we're going to see. And you would lay your hands on the head of this animal that is breathing, that is mooing, that is moving. And you would lay your hand, not like gently, not like some of us with wild animals that you're like a scared, right? And you're trying to touch it as little as you can. 
No, here the word that it's talking about him is that you be pressing your weight on to the animal. And it was a picture of our sins being transferred onto this innocent animal. It would be us realizing that this is what my sins deserve. The wages of sin is death. But we forget about it because we don't see blood raining down every time we sin. But here, each time someone would want to make a sacrifice, they would see the wages of their sins. Because they'd be placing the weight on the animal knowing that this is what I deserve. Not only for my salvation, but the only way I could be holy is through the death, through the sacrifice of another. So you'd put all your weight on their head, right? And then it says it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. We spoke about atoning in the beginning, right? That word atonement, it is to cover. It's to cover up. And what are we covering up here? The individual's sins. The only way that their sins could be covered was by the blood of an innocent animal. However, their sins would not be taken away. Not yet. That comes later on. And if we're honest, our whole world is consumed with covering their sins. Covering it up. Making a reason for it. Making it out to be not that bad. Making it out to be my parents' fault. Making it out to be my spouse's fault. Making it out to be my president's fault. Right? We look for anyone and everyone else to blame and cover our sins. You see, the thing, family, is that God has made a way to cover sins, but we don't like to go there. Old Testament, that was through the death of an animal. New Testament, it's the death of Jesus Christ. We go to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, and it tells us, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never, with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. Verse 4, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Then it goes into verse 5, quoting from Psalm 40 that I read earlier. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sins, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. You jump down to verse 9, second half. It says, he takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Again, family, God, he's made a way to cover our sins once and for all. But it's only through the work of Jesus Christ. It's only through the death and sacrifice of that male without blemish and his resurrection. That's the only way our sins can be covered. And the only way into heaven, it's if our sins are truly covered. It's as if God can look at the death and sacrifice of Jesus, looking at the animal, looking at the sacrifice and saying, this is a sacrifice that is worthy and allowable for you to come into heaven. That's what we need to know. That's what we need to believe. That's what we need to look at God and say, Lord, you are right. The only way I can get into heaven is not by my righteousness. It's not by my self-righteousness. That's dead. That's putrid. 
Lord, it's only through your sacrifice. That's why in Isaiah chapter 53 verse 10, it tells us that it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, shall he see his seed. Again, the Lord, it pleased God to bruise his own son. Because he knew that was the only way for all of us to be able to make it into heaven. It pleased God to bruise his own son. We looked at that two weeks ago in 1 John. What kind of a love do you have to have to see your child be being beaten up and bruised and bloodied? What kind of love do you have to have to see that happening and restrain yourself from doing something because you know someone else is going to be saved by their sacrifice? What kind of a love is that? We would look at that today and we say there's something wrong there. But that is the love that God has for each and every one of us. The Lord was fine. It pleased him to see his son being bruised because that was the only way by which man can be saved. It was the only way. Back to Leviticus chapter 1 verse 4. Right Then he, right, then Zach would put his hand on the head of the burnt offering. And it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. He, and once again, that's the person offering the sacrifice, would kill the bull before the Lord. And the priests, Aaron's sons, shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around on the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Again, you'd put your weight, you'd put your hand and your weight on the head of this animal And then I guess if it's your first time, the priest would guide you where in the throat and you would slit the throat of that animal. You'd feel the the weight going. You'd feel and see the blood sprinkling everywhere, the blood spraying everywhere. You'd get it on yourself. You'd see it on the priest. And it was a reminder of what the wages of our sins, it's what they do. It's a reminder of what Christ was willing to do for us. Again, after Jesus bled, after he was beaten, right, he's carrying the cross and his knees, they buckled. He couldn't carry the cross anymore. They had to get Simon to carry the cross for him. It's a picture of Jesus taking our sins upon him. That animal, the person there making the sacrifice, they'd hear gurgling, mooing from the mouth, from the throat, and you'd feel the death creep into this animal and the life flow out of it. And if you've ever been there, if you've ever killed an animal and cleaned it, right, your first time, it's a little bit of a shock. For some of you guys, maybe your first time, second time, third time, fourth time, fifth time, it's still a shock, right? But that's what our sins have done. That is what Christ has done for us. Again, what type of obedience is this? What type of love is this that he'd be willing to do all of this for us? Verse 6 And he shall skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. Again, it wasn't the priests. It was the person making the sacrifice. Make it a little lighter, right? There's a couple, there's a friend of mine, right? Jose, he has a ranch and everybody wants to go to shoot animals. But very few people say, I want to go and clean the animals, right? It should be a rule. If you want to shoot something, you got to clean it. And that's the hard work. Joe Foshi was saying it'd probably take, what, an hour Two hours, three hours, four hours to kill a full-grown cow and then have to clean it, have to skin it, have to clean out the innards, have to separate it. And yet this was the person saying, Lord, I love you so much. I want to give you my all. I'm going to take my own money, the own tractor that I bought. I'm going to bring it here, sacrifice it, and I'm going to spend hours here going through this ceremony to say, Lord, I love you and I'm willing to give you my absolute all. 
When was the last time we took two hours to just be in our Bible alone with the Lord? When was the last time I said, Lord, I want to show you that I'm willing to be a burnt sacrifice for you, Lord. I'm going to take three hours and just spend it with you alone to be reminded of the cross. That's what we're going to do in communion in a little bit. But to be reminded of his sacrifice, to be reminded of what he gave for us, to be reminded of his humility, his life, his death, his resurrection. Again, now Christianity, it's almost too easy if we're honest. And it's made us lazier instead of more holy or more pure or more like the Lord. Back to verse 7. It says, Then the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar and lay the wood in order on the sacrifice. Then the priest Aaron's sons shall lay the parts, the head and the fat, in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. But he shall wash its entrails and its legs with water. And the priest shall burn all on the altar as a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Again, this was someone said, Lord, I want to give you my all. And it's a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. And again, if you're here and you're walking at home and you smell someone else grilling around your neighborhood, right, it's a sweet-smelling aroma, right? You're being like God. You're being like the Lord, right? Every time you have that smell, you say, Lord, that's a sweet-smelling aroma. Right? I joke around with my kids. Anytime that I hear, at night time I hear, anytime that I smell barbecue, I say, man, someone's having a barbecue. They didn't invite us over, right? Well, what's up with that? And again, it's a sweet-smelling sacrifice unto the Lord. Sweet-smelling sacrifice. Family, are we willing to give the Lord our all? The priest, they'd have that golden bowl. They'd collect all the blood. And you'd be seeing all this blood splattering. The priest with their holy garments, Pure white and yet blood all over it. All a reminder of Christ and what he's done for us. All a reminder of us as believers that we should be holy, we should be set apart, and we should have the marks of our Savior on us. Verse 10, if his offering is of the flocks. Now we go to the middle class, right? It says, of sheep or of goats as a burnt sacrifice, he shall bring a male without blemish. The Lord, he doesn't lower the bar in holiness or purity He lowers the bar in price, right, of what they are to bring. Verse 11, he shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord. Interesting, Jesus, he was sacrificed, right? He died. The cross was on the north side of the old city of where the temple was. And the priest Aaron's sons shall sprinkle its blood all around the altar. And he, again, the person making the sacrifice, would cut this lamb into pieces With its head, its fat, and the priest shall lay them in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. But he shall wash the entrails and the legs with water. Then the priest shall bring it all and burn it on the altar. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. Again, family, the Lord, he wants all aspects of our lives. He doesn't just want bits and pieces of us. He wants all of us. Are we willing to give him our all? Right, it's been quoted, it's been said, unless Jesus is Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. Again, whatever areas you're trying to keep back from the Lord, there's no doubt in my mind that's exactly where sin and where Satan is going to creep in and slowly but surely leaven the whole lump, right? He's going to creep in there and he's going to slowly corrode and mess up all of your life with that area that you're saying, Lord, I can't touch this, Lord. You can't mess with this, God. This is my thing. Verse 14, And if the burnt sacrifice of his offering, 
to the Lord is of birds, and he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or young pigeons. Again, this was the lowest of the low. The people that couldn't afford anything. They would come and they would bring two turtle doves, right? Two pigeons. We know that Jesus, when his dad and mom, Joseph and Mary, when they come to the temple to offer a sacrifice, you guys know what they offered? Two turtle doves. The low class. That's where Jesus came into. The low class. He didn't come high class or middle class. No, he came into the lowest of the low. He knows everything that we've gone through. He's, he shared with our griefs. He shared with our pains. Verse 15, the priest, they would bring these two pigeons to the altar, these two turtle doves, and they would wring off its head and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out at the side of the altar. He shall remove its crop. So that's the innards, right? They'd go inside, they'd pull out the guts, and then they'd pull off the feathers and cast it besides the altar on the east side into the place for ashes. Then he shall split it at its wings, but shall not divide it completely. And the priest shall burn it on the altar, on the wood that is on the fire. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Again, this was all done for whoever said, Lord, I want to give you my all. I want to give you everything I got, Lord. This is all I could afford. Lord, I can afford a tractor to give you. Lord, I can afford one of my sheep, right? One of my mid-sized sedans. Lord, that's what I'm going to give to you. Lord, all I can afford is two parakeets from the pet shop, right? And Lord, that's all I can afford. So what do we do today, right? Do we have Carlos in the back with a cajachina ready, right? And each of us are going to come and bring our animals, our sacrifices for the Lord. You guys don't like that joke, right? The PETA people are going to call. Uh, You go to Romans chapter 12. What are some sacrifices that we can offer today? Maybe at the end of Leviticus we'll have a cookout, but maybe some people won't like that, but... You go to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And again, the picture here is of the burnt sacrifice. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. This is Paul, and he tells us, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's that burnt sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your reasonable service. This is the only thing that makes sense. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Again, in view of Jesus and his sacrifice for us, did Jesus hold back in his offering for us? Did Jesus hold absolutely anything back? Right? Did he say, Father, I'm willing to go down to heaven, but Lord, I'm not going to be with the poorest of the poor. He didn't say that. He didn't say, okay, God, I'm willing to go down there, but don't give me 12 knuckleheads. Give me 12 guys that are like respectable, right? No, he was willing to give up everything. So now the only thing that makes sense is that we, with our bodies, with our lives, would say, Lord, I'm totally yours. We can offer our own lives as a sacrifice to God in view of Jesus' sacrifice for us. In view of Jesus' sacrifice for our salvation, the only thing that makes sense, the only reasonable service is that we would say, Lord, my whole life is yours. That's the first sacrifice we can give. Another sacrifice we can give, Philippians chapter 4, verse 18. You could turn there real quick. Philippians chapter 4, verse 18. These are all the New Testament sacrifices found in Scripture. Philippians 4, verse 18. And it says, indeed, I have all and abound. 
I am full having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice well-pleasing to God. What is Paul talking about here? In verse 15, he says, No church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. We can sacrifice the Lord a sweet-smelling aroma by giving to churches or missionaries or ministries. That's another sacrifice that we can give to God. Some people say, oh, tithing is not in the Bible. No, God says he wants all of you. He wants all of you. That's what the Lord wants. So yeah, we give our 10%. That's the very least of our concerns. But of our excess, of our blessing, are we willing to say, Lord, I want to help out this ministry. Lord, I want to help out that mission. Far-reaching ministries, still haven't heard about those 22 missionaries that were there in Afghanistan. Lord, I want to help that cause. Lord, Wilderness Ranch, Headwaters Ministry. Lord, this ministry, that ministry. Lord, I want to help that cause in view of all that you gave for me. Lord, this is what I want to give back to you. Finally, Hebrews chapter 13. We see the last two sacrifices here in verse 15 and 16. Hebrews 13, verse 15, it says, Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Again, our worship is a sacrifice to the Lord. Our not complaining, but our thanking God. Are giving him praise. Lord, thank you for this. Lord, that's why we're supposed to pray before we eat, right? Lord, thank you for this food. Lord, thank you for the AC. Lord, thank you for this. Lord, thank you for that. That is a sacrifice of praise to the Lord, giving thanks for his name. And then in verse 16, it says, But do not forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Again, our behavior, our treating of others, And sharing to the body of Christ. Sharing with our brothers and sisters. Not to see what we can get from them. Not to do some modern day networking at church. I hope that's not why you came to church, right? But to just say, Lord, I want to bless this brother. Lord, I just want to bless this sister. Those are the sacrifices we can offer today to the Lord. First and foremost, our own bodies, our own lives. Lord, the only thing that makes sense after all that you've done for me is, Lord, I want to give you my all. Lord, my whole life is yours, every aspect of it. Giving out of our finances, out of our abundance, out of that 10%, saying, Lord, this is yours. This is a sweet-smelling aroma to you. The sacrifice of our praise to God and to do good and to share within the body of Christ.